are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Our journey in life uh, takes us down the path of decision-making all the time. And you need to make decisions in your life daily as well as I. All of us make decisions. Some of those are life-threatening and life-altering. Some of those are just day-to-day decisions that need to be made in life. Our Lord is gonna address that decision-making subject here in this text before us. He's given us a parable Uh, We're aware of the fact a parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. And so he gives us the illustration here of a man, verse 28, intending to build a tower and sitteth not down first and counteth the cost. I want to speak to you this morning on counting the cost. Counting the cost. I've made uh, foolish decisions in my life that if I st- slowed down and just counted the cost, I-, I would not have wasted some money. Perhaps a vehicle I, I purchased that I-, I probably should not have done that. I forced it. Uh, perhaps some uh, decision to do this when I should not have done that. I'm not talking about sin necessarily. I'm just talking about uh, just foolish decisions in the pathway of life. And don't look at me like I'm the only guy that's made these foolish decisions. We all have, amen? Good, you're sitting next to a terrible person right there, I'm certain. Count the cost. Count the cost. You're gonna build a tower, you sit down and you count at the cost, you figure it out. Is this the right thing? Is this the right expense? Will this be helpful? Will this be hurtful? What will it do for my life? What will it do for my marriage? What will it do for my children? What will it do for my family? What will it do for the cause of Christ? Will it help the cause of Christ? Will it hurt the cause of Christ? Today we want to look at count the cross and I hope that young people as well will listen very carefully. I watch people on this journey called life. I've had the joy to pastor the same church a long, long time. I have literally pastored tens of thousands of people. Baptism alone, over 18,000 baptized in this church, let alone all the other thousands that have come. And those that were not members, I think of even to this day, some bus kids that that have come through the years, 1.5 million bus kids. Granted, I did not know them all, uh, but I run across them still to this day as adults everywhere. Almost every day if I pass a track to someone, I'll have some, or several someone's, I'll have someone say, I rode that bus. I know know that church. I used to go there. I, I, I got saved in the Clyde Avenue building. I hear it all the time. Count the cost. I want you to realize with me that in counting the cost, and please listen carefully, there's a decision that must be made. We need to make a conscious decision in gonna, if we're gonna count the cost. I, I wanna say several things about this counting the cost with this decision. Let me help us try to get in our mind with the letter S. When we make a decision, always be slow with that decision. 
Now, I'm not talking about the fact that you're on a two-lane road and a semi-truck is in your lane Say, well, I wonder, should I move over or not? Uh, it's uh, very, thanks for the obvious, you gotta move over. But we're making decisions in life as to what we'll do with our life. I'm gonna marry this person. We're gonna go into the ministry of this person. I'm gonna go to this job with, and, and here's what I'm gonna do, and here's where I'm gonna live, and here's how I'm gonna raise my children. I know, I, whatever it might be, I tell you what, if I were you, I would try to find you young couples a place to raise your family until death do us part. Got too many people hopping all over the place. The average pastor now stays 18 to 24 months. The average staff member in America in churches stays 12 months. The average person moves every, is it 2.9 every two years and nine months, two years and 10 months. We're moving, we're on the run, we're on the go, we're here, we're there, we're everywhere. There's something about being slow and, reside, uh, and to reside and to anchor down. Be slow in making a major decision. Be slow in just, I, I'm leaving her, I'm leaving him. I can't put up with him anymore. You better be slow with that decision. I'm leaving, I'm leaving God, I'm quitting on God, I'm quitting on church. Oh, a bunch of heresies, bunch of hypocrites, I'm just gonna quit. Be slow in making that decision. Philosophical change, I'm tired of, of a preacher preaching old time religion. I'm, I'm tired of convictions and, and I'm tired of all the North Valley way. I'm tired of it, all right, be tired of it, but be careful, be slow. Well, I'm worn out. There's not one of us that's not worn out with this COVID thing. I'm so tired of it. I don't know what the shirt says, but I'm fear. I, I've got to see that shirt afterwards. I like it. I can see. Uh, you, you need a smaller chest, my dear brother. That, you got a chest like me. Preserved to, uh, what does it say? Yeah, I like that. No child to live to, deserves to live in fear. And you know who said that? Jesus. God hath not given us a spirit of fear. Gonna have to chill this thing out a little bit, folks. And I'm not making light of the danger of it and the weakness and the, and the sorrow of it and the heartache of people passing away. That Herman Cain, great, great man, ran for president a few years ago, passed away this past week. Yes, cancer, but apparently had COVID too. I heard for that, he was a good man, knew the Lord, assistant pastor in a Baptist church in Atlanta. I hurt when I hear these people passing away. But ladies and gentlemen, we better be careful when we make philosophical changes and I'm gonna take a different job. Maybe you're supposed to take it, but be slow. James tells us that we're to be slow in making decisions. I'm gonna change schools. I called my dad. The end of my sophomore year was coming to close and I found out my favorite professor in the college was leaving. He had come from another college, came to our college, and he's elderly now. He may be watching on the East Coast. I love him to this day. I owe my life, so much of my ministry to him. I, I'm, I think he's a wonderful man, but I left the Bible camp college, came to our college. And then he was leaving after my sophomore year, the man that really was shaping my life for the ministry and helping my life musically in other areas. He left to go to another Bible college. And two years left, he went to another college. And he's been there to that college for about 30 years now. It's wonderful. But I called my dad and said, Dad, I'm in the Midwest. My dad's in California. My, my favorite professor, you know him. My dad knew him well. 
They were friends. I said, he's leaving to go to another college. My buddies are going. I want to go too. I'll never forget what he said, son. You went to that school right there where you're at. You just stay. You're going to start something in life where you're going to be jumping all your life. I said, Dad, my friends are going. My best friends are going. My buddies are going. My, my professor's going. I don't want to stay here. He's moving closer to California. I want to be there. He said, son, you just stay. You know, Brother Hardin, what happened at the end of that sophomore year? I began to work in a church called the Berean Baptist Church in Rockford, Illinois, just a few months later. And there was a girl there, Cindy Swanson, the pastor's daughter, that for all these years now has been my wife. I think of what she would have missed out on. I think what I missed, would have missed out on had I just decided to jump. I'm not saying you can't move. I can't, I'm not telling you can't have another pastor. I'm not telling you cannot go to another church. I'm not, that's, that's, you're gonna have to figure that out. Though I would never, never try to figure something like that out without a shepherd. But nonetheless, nonetheless, I listened to my dad and he didn't know as much as I did. But I listened anyway. And had I made the decision in, the, uh, in my own power, every man doing that, Judges 17, 6, which is right in his own eyes, in decision-making, be slow. In decision-making, making, sit down. Look what he says. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and count the cost? What does it mean to sit down? It means just slow down and rest and ponder so we're slow and now we're sitting. Gives us time to think. When we're sitting, we're praying and we're waiting and we're getting counsel from God and from man and we're letting God speak to us. You sit down. You're not, well, I gotta do something. I gotta do it. Slow down and sit down. Thirdly, I like to say this about this decision. Speak to yourself. <laughs> it's kind of fun to speak to yourself, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with speaking to yourself. It's wrong when you answer yourself. And that started many years ago. I'm having the best time in conversation. Sometimes my wife says, well, you're so quiet. I talk to myself and answer all day long. I have a good time. I get home, I'm worn out of talking. But when you speak to yourself, you say, Am I violating a commandment or a principle in the Word of God? Yeah, but I can't get along with him. I can't get along with her. But am I violating something from the Word of God? The second, when we talk to ourselves, we ought to ask this question. Is my decision being governed by my flesh? Am I making a decision based on what I want for my flesh? The third thing that's getting quiet in here today, this is an important one to ask yourself. Who's influencing me? Galatians 5, 7, ye did run well. Who? There's always a who. 
In the ministry, I've had so many whose their voices have come onto my phone and they've talked to me as pastors and fellow pastors. I've had so many books that have been sent to me and to my library and there's a who that's trying to influence me this way or that way or direction. I've had so many who's in my life and so have you. But I tell you what, I wanna be very careful who is influencing me. We're living in a day, especially you young people and millennials, you, you don't care who's, you're gonna take the good with the bad. No, 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 no. You're gonna, you think you're gonna read a book and take the good out and leave the bad. No, I've got some good garbage in my garbage can. I noticed we had some of this bread in the house and it said, it doesn't have preservatives. And, and I had some of that bread and, and I, I got the first piece, a few, few pieces in the first piece that morning. I pulled it out and it had just a little blue dot in it because that bread spoils real fast. And I pulled it out, I looked at the rest and so the rest looked okay, so I ate it. And that's why I'm like this, like this. But the next day I saw it, I threw that away. The next day I saw it, I said, I'm thinking of throwing the whole thing away. Why? Because it's going to taint me. There's some good food in our garbage. But I'm not going there for my next meal. Why do you listen to people who their track record is always tearing apart another Christian? Why are you listening to someone trying to lead you away from the things of God, the house of God, the man of God, the people of God, the work of God? Why are you listening to people like that? You ask yourself the question, am I totally right with God? You don't make a decision when you're not totally right with God. Number five, you ask, is this right? I have watched People sacrifice their marriage, their children, their home because they haven't sat down and considered the decision and asked some questions. So we sit down, we slow down, we speak to ourselves. We get spiritual influence from the word of God. God's gonna give you faith to make the decision, to make that leap. If it's a right, God's gonna give you peace. Well, I have the peace of God. I hear that. College professors, we hear that all the time. I'm dating this girl. She's the best. She's wonderful. But then you see her roommate, and she's the best. And so you go to girl one, and you say, I can't explain it. I just don't have the peace of God. But the next day, he has the peace of God for her roommate. That's no peace of God. We're foolish. When we make decisions, base it on spiritual influence of faith and peace and patience, base it upon, is this decision the will of God? On this decision, number five, is it based upon sound doctrine? Sound counsel. A man writing his boy, the book of Proverbs, and he says, son, seek counsel. That book is loaded where he's saying, in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. And that doesn't mean you get 10 people lined up, six say yes, four say no. You get a cabinet of counselors. 
You can stack, as they call it, the deck anytime on any issue. There are some issues in my life, and through the years, and some of these have passed away, I understand, but I, I, I chose this man to give me advice in this area. I chose this lady to give me direction, and that would be my wife. I chose this lady, and she doesn't even know all the areas. She, what, what she gives me direction on, I'm gonna listen to that. I've chose this staff member. I've chose this deacon. I've chose these deacons. I've chose these. I am not gonna make decisions by myself and do that which is right in my own eyes. Now be patient with people. Proverbs calls them, you're either a simple person or a prudent person. A simple person is not a dumb or stupid person. A simple person is a person who is inexperienced. I came to pastor this church. I built the 16 by 20 almost single-handedly. An architect or a builder would come out every day, tell me what to do, and I did, dug the footings, and every day I worked on it, and then I formed it up, and he taught me how to do that, and then we had someone lay the concrete, then we began to frame the little 16 by 20 flat roof little building. But then we built a 4,000 square foot building, and I got some help, and got some men in the church, and we built that together. And then we built a 32,000 square foot building, in 1981, we began, we broke ground in June, a July anniversary Sunday. I went to the church and I said, we're gonna move into a tent. For two years, we moved into the tent. We had zero parking stalls and we grew. I'll never forget those days. My uncle, who's with the Lord, was our general contractor. My uncle was a smart man, a good man. He was a prudent man. He wasn't the pastor of the church. He was prudent, I was simple. I was inexperienced. He had already built a beautiful house up on the hill up here. He, he, was, a, he, he was a prudent man. He was an experienced man. I remember I made a four by eight sheet of plywood. Uh, I had that plywood and painted it and we had an artist put on there. Here's how much it's gonna cost for the foundation. We put it under a canopy like a little house, a little frame out the back by the baptistry outside where we were baptized them for those two years. And it said uh, the building 1981, I had planned on building it for 52 weeks. I said, next year we're gonna have dedication. It wasn't because I was rebellious, I was simple. I didn't know how long a 32,000 square foot building would take to build with the volunteer men of the church every Monday night, every Tuesday night, Wednesday night after church if we failed an inspection, Friday night, all day Saturday, the ladies ran the buses, we drove them on Sunday. I never realized that you could not build it with volunteer help. I could recall my uncle said, now Jack, he called me pastor all the time, believe it or not. He said, now pastor, you go get framing hammers. And I bought about 40 or 50 framing hammers. I had them all laid out because the men got off work on a Monday night. They had their framing hammer. They had their pouch. They had their nails. We showed them how to do it. Boy, things were rolling. It was great. It was wonderful. But it did not take 52 weeks. It took 104 weeks. I missed it by one year. On the, there, there's a picture somewhere. Brother Scurry, I just saw you. You would remember it. It said $550,000 to build 32,000 square foot building. And I really did my due diligence and studied it, but it didn't cost 550, it cost 1.2 million. Because my dear uncle who was prudent, he came to me, for example, when we were ready to put doors in. We had 104 doors in that building. He said, now pastor, you've got the price for these doors, but they're hollow core doors. I know, I said, they're cheaper. He said, I'm not putting them in. 
he says, those come with a poor frame. They come with hollow. You got a school. They're going to be putting holes through those. Those things will not last. I said, but Uncle Bill, I said, you don't understand. We can't afford these. He said, you can't afford not to. I said, these doors are 100 bucks, frames and everything. Those are over $200. He goes, we're putting them in. You know, those, still, those doors there are 40 years old. They're still swinging on their hinges. I can recall, he said, okay, now we need industrial hinges and door knobs and door closers. I said, that's about triples what I figured. He said, we're gonna do it. He killed me. And I thank God at 68, he passed away and I'm still alive. I want you to know this. He was right. That is one of the most incredible, strong buildings. It has gone through earthquakes. The wall that's down the rest home side is, third side is 32 feet tall by 268 feet long without a door or a window. It sits right on the property line. It's framed by two by eights. And then it has plywood. And then it has sheetrock. And then it has another layer of sheetrock. And then it has 16 penny nails on the wood around it every four inches, excuse me, two inches on the outside field and four inches. Of, and then we weakened the two, two by eights and the city said, you gotta add another two by eight. And we bolted those together. And then we had stucco. And then we had two layers of sheetrock. It's a, a full 12 inches thick. It's an amazing building. All that added cost. My uncle said that we've got to insulate all these walls. I said, I don't have money for it. He goes, we're going to do it. That dear man cost me $550,000 plus. I'm so glad he did because he was prudent. I'm talking, look, look at the text. I, 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 I don't want to lose your attention. I want you to see there's a decision. You have to sit down and you count the cost. There's a destiny. Look at the latter part of the verse, whether he hath sufficient to finish it. Did you notice that there's three times he talks about finishing? He talks about finishing in verse 28. He talks about finishing in verse 29. He talks about again in verse number 30, the last word, to finish. God's goal for your life is that you and I might finish our course with joy. You ever look at the choirs and churches in America? The choirs of the churches in America are generally young people, youth, college age, young adults. Because so often we get tired of doing what we're supposed to do. That's why I'm enjoying so much watching some of you godly people stay with it and you're aging and you're getting older and we're getting older together. God bless you. The church needs people that have gone through sorrow and disappointment and gone through failure and gone through a heartache and gone through burials and gone through all these various things, experience, loss of business, but you're still loving God. We have to sit down and say, can we finish the project? And that's what he said here. 
None of these things move me, Paul says. Neither will I count on my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. You look at the finish. How is this going to affect my mate? This decision, how does it affect my mate? This decision, how does it affect my children? This decision, how does it affect my testimony? You're going to have to think. I'm going to have to think. I cannot. I've got so many decisions coming to me in just life right now. Just like you do. I have no more than you. About my life and about our marriage and about our church and about our ministry and all that's coming at me one thing after another. About the school, about the college, about the next building. Getting this thing paid off. They just keep coming at me all the time. I cannot make a dumb, foolish decision that will affect my wife, my children, the people around me, the work of God, the people of God. I must make sound decisions. I'm gonna sit down. I've been going slow and trying to wait on God these 22 weeks. There have been great moments of great joy. There's great low, low moments. But I tell you one thing, I've discovered getting up early in the morning and coming every day, almost seven days a week to an early study and trying to walk with God and pray and lock the doors and, and just get in there and get alone with God and say, God, show me. God, teach me. God, give me understanding. Some things he does, some things he's silent. And when God's silent, I'm not gonna make any decision. Our church knows this. If you've been here any time, length of time, on three occasions, I wrote letters, written letters of resignation. One was after August 20th, 14 years ago, we moved in this building. I always said, if I write a letter of resignation, I'll write it and I'll hold it for one year, not tell anybody. I'll just write it and not tell anybody. After a year, if I still feel like God's done with me, I'll move. I'll get out of the way. And by the way, don't get excited because God's not telling me that. People do, but God's not. I wrote it one time. I was, I was in the flesh. I was ticked off about something. You ever get that way? I wrote it. And it, I tell you what, it felt so good to write it. I, even see, I saw Susie Harder in the letter crying as I was reading it to the church. But they were tears of joy, not tears of sorrow. I wrote it, as soon as I wrote it, I said, I'm not leaving here. I ripped it up, we didn't have shredders, it was years ago. The next time I wrote it, it was about that long, I wrote it, and just within, not even, not two days, that same day, I ripped it up again. About 14 years ago, maybe 15, I kept it for months. This has been the prayer of our life to finally have an auditorium to fit the crowd. And I got in here and I got so afraid. I said, what have I done? This is too big for me, I can't do this. And that's when I realized that there were so many other things God was just working on my heart. I just thought, it was all fear. It was all fear. And someone would say something to me and I thought as they walked away, you don't know it. I'm worse than you just told me I was. I had no confidence. I was losing confidence in God. Not that I was, and I was preaching. 
I felt like I was preaching with power. But I was in a decision moment. Months later, months later, I had a shredder. I shredded it. I want to tell you something. Had I made that decision, I, I knew I was right with God to preach. I knew I was trying to be holy. I knew all that, but I knew I was so overwhelmed with failure and despondency, and I wasn't the man, and I can't get this thing done, and I should have known that right along because without me, you can do nothing. And I kept, I kept feeling like, this is, what have I done? And then I got these people in this debt. I can't leave them with this debt. What I, it was just an agony. I'd walk, I'd walk at night. My wife finally said, I don't want you to walk on the streets at light, night, one and two in the morning anymore. I'd go into Safeway. It was open 24 hours. I'd be about 1.30 in the morning, freezing cold. I'd go back in that store and just walk up and down those aisles to get warm and then walk outside again. God, please help me. Show me. I'm so, so weary right now. I don't know what to do. A day, a week, a month, two months, three months, four months. It went on. I'm glad I did not make a decision that would alter our life, our marriage, our home, our family, the church, in a moment of stupidity. I'm out of time. I see a decision that had to be made. And the decision we saw, six things, different things that needed to be made with that. I see a destiny. You gotta look where you're gonna wind up. But then I see a disdain, and I'm out of time. Verse number 30, this man began to, this man began to build, but was not able to finish it. Verse 29, lest happily he hath laid the foundation, not able to finish it. Well, here it is. And all behold, it began to mock him. People are going to disdain you with every decision you make. They're going to fault you. You should, you should have made this decision. You should have done this. You should. It's amazing how much everybody knows for your life. And people will mock it. And that's part of the territory. You young boys go to the ministry, I guarantee it. I promise you this. You'll be mocked from without and from within. That's just part of it. You'll be scoffed, you'll be ridiculed, you'll be, and, and by the way, in any area of life, you work in business and you're the manager, you'll be mocked from within and from without. And the stronger stand you take for your company, for the politics or whatever it might be, you will be mocked, they'll lie. Somebody's lying about all this stuff in Washington, D.C. You have two men running for office and they are totally apart. You have a world that's divided right now. And by the way, the one side looks like they're winning, but I think that's the small side, the agitator side. And so we go back to what they said to Galatians, ye didn't run well, who did hinder you? So you quit on life because someone mocked you? You quit on marriage because your wife is giving you a hard time? You quit on marriage because your husband's lazy? Or is giving you a hard time? You quit on life because your kids that you raise are not living for God? You quit on life because, no, we have a journey to finish. 
And I want to finish my course and I want to do it with joy. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand. Jesus' last word is, it is finished. Finish your course. The last trip you ought to make in this church is in a casket down the aisle right there and same with me. Or at the funeral home, they say, do we call your pastor? Oh, I don't have one. We left mad. We left upset. We quit on God. God wasn't fair to us. Many decisions we're making, one probably don't even need to be made. Did you just say, many decisions we're making, we probably don't even need to make. You don't need to build the tower. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do that. Many, just, just, just slow down. And secondly, many years ago, I preached the message here. It's helped me in my own life. You decide before you must decide. There ought to be in our life right now a cabinet of decisions. I've made the decision. If she will stay with me, I've made the decision. I'm staying with her. I'm not calling a divorce lawyer. Now, she might have to because I'm pretty tough to live with. I hope she doesn't ever. That decision's made. It's till death do us part. I'm very cautious how I say this. I can outwork or work as hard as any man in this church, I promise you. You want me to dig a ditch? I did them out here this week. I can dig a ditch and stay with it all day long. I'm not an old man yet. And I always thought that I would die pastoring this church. But all of a sudden, life goes fast. And now, over the last many years, the decision is when I become a drag on this church. And that's a harder decision. I'm not feeling that yet. I made a decision when I came here. I was 24. I said, I, I want to pastor this church 50 years. Well, I'm getting close to the 50. I've been reading all these different preachers that pastor the mega churches in America that have the radio stations of 2,000, 2,500, the TV. I've been reading them. This guy's 86. This guy's 81. This guy's 84. This guy's 79, soon to be 80. And I said, Lord, I'm not there yet. I don't know all that God has for the future. But I do know this. I don't need to make a decision for the future. God will work it all out. I don't mean this depressing. Jerry Falwell was my dear friend. Jerry changed in his ministry. Right before he died, though, he wrote me a nice note, sent me a book. Jerry preached, and it was a Sunday on a Monday morning, went to his office. At age 74, 50 years of ministry there, he collapsed and died of a heart attack. 
God knows when you're going to pass away, and God knows how, and God knows the time. And God knows that for me. I was praying this week, and I told our staff, this is related, but not related to message. I, I said, fellas, you know what? I am going to die, and you are too. I was sitting with someone over here last night. I, I have an appointment with death. And so do you. My days are determined by God. I'm going to die in a car accident, a plane accident, a stroke, a heart attack. I'm going to die. But I'm not going to let the government take my life. If I have to die through COVID, it's the day that God wants me to die is when I'm going to die. Well, I'm going to lock myself in my basement. We don't have a basement. I'm going to lock myself. I'm going to lock myself up so I don't ever have to go outside. That was not a good thing to say, lock yourself in your basement. I think some people I know do that right now. I'm going to lock myself up. Not me. You say, aren't you worried about COVID? Zero. What if you get it? Go home for 14 days and watch Barney Five. <laughs> going to have a little bell and ring it and say, hey, hon. I won't be feeling like eating. Would you massage my feet for the next three hours? I'm talking about, folks, count the cost. Our Father, I guess it was more of a Bible study than a message today, but I feel like it was so important. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. I, in fact, I know I am. God, help us as even in this church, some folks are getting older. May they not make foolish decisions. May they make very wise decisions. And then there's a whole entire crowd that's so young here. Help them not to make foolish decisions. Those that are living at home with a godly mother and dad, may they gain insight and wisdom from my mom and dad. Say, no, son, don't go to that college. No, don't, don't go there. Or it, 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 may not, it may not even be Golden State they don't want them at. That's up to them and you. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.